Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Make It Count, with a message titled, The Good Fight. So let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 8, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. I know this about all human endeavors. It is easier to start anything than to finish it. Starting is always filled with energy, with eyes filled with anticipation. Somewhere along the way, we will find out whether we've chosen the right hill to fight our battles or whether the entire endeavor was built on faulty assumptions or unrealistic optimism. Every endeavor becomes hard at some point in time. It was Mike Tyson, the boxer, speaking about a a fight in a boxing ring who once said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. Yep, at some point in time, especially when the endeavor to which we are committed becomes a great endeavor, we do get punched in the mouth. Opponents arise, unexpected events seem to overwhelm us, the fight is so much harder than we had ever imagined, or the weakness in the plan, things we we could not have anticipated, suddenly become apparent. And I'll say this, most of the people who joined me in going into the ministry of the Word when, when we were young, well, they've long since left the majority of them having quit in the first decade of their ministry. But please don't hear me condemning them or in any fashion speaking disparagingly of them. You know, I think that in most of those cases, they discovered they weren't gifted for the task or some of them were badly treated or the lifestyle that was demanded was not one that they could endure. But I use that as but one illustration that it is so much easier to begin something than to see it through to its conclusion. And as many have found, the thing they gave themselves to was not a worthy goal to pursue. Now, today's text is for the young pastor, the middle-aged pastor, and the old pastor. And since I'm assuming that the majority of those who are now listening to me are not pastors, I mean, you might wonder what this passage has to do with you. Well, much in every way. You know, for one, you are, if you're a believer, under the leadership and teaching of a pastor. And Scripture tells you, you know, it's in Hebrews 13, verse 7, imitate their faith. And in Hebrews 13, 17, you're to submit to them, for they are charged with keeping watch over your soul. We're to pray for them. And so it's good that we understand their task. But there's also a secondary application here for all of us. And it's the application that just as pastors and preachers and Christian leaders have a mission and a calling, each of us is required to know what God has for us. I mean, you might be a, you know, a faithful plumber doing the very best for every customer to the glory of God. And you use your gifts to serve others. And you're faithful to your wife, your kids, and you share the good news of Christ with all as the Lord gives opportunity. And for those who are like you, you'll have noticed that some were also unable to finish what they had started. They too were unable to fight the good fight. Now, before I read today's text, I want to make clear that yesterday had already begun with this text, taking us to the first two verses, but let's carry on from there. I'm rereading 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I've already made the point that the command to preach the word was the command to exposit the word. That is, preachers are not called upon to preach their word. 
and then use Scripture to back it up. You know, I've seen that method used a great deal, and it's always fraught with errors. No, you don't preach your word. You preach the word. The word takes the lead, and the task of the preacher is to explain the Scripture. And all the while, God says, it was your task to take the text of sacred Scripture, understand it word by word, line by line, chapter by chapter, and then declare that. Jesus says, the church is mine. I'm the senior pastor, and I get to dictate what is preached, not the preacher, not the congregation, but the Word. And since it was the Holy Spirit who inspired the Word, we know that any congregation that's being led by the Word, the actual text of Scripture, that congregation is being led by the Spirit. But then notice that Paul adds commands attached to the preaching of the Word. That is, the preacher is so much more than one who simply explains the meaning of Scripture. I mean, Paul adds four commands attached to the command to preach the word. That is, Paul qualifies the task. So let's look at the four qualifying commands. And the first, the preacher is to be ready in season and out of season. You know, there have been a number of different attempts to explain this saying, and I find all of them helpful. I mean, for instance, you know, Paul might be addressing this command to Timothy personally. I mean, perhaps Timothy is going through a season in life where he might not feel like it, or he might be discouraged, or maybe he's struggling with doubts and fears. I mean, in any case, whether Timothy is at that moment filled with zeal and he's encouraged, or whether he's being criticized and he feels weak, he is not given the freedom to ever stop preaching the word in season and out of season. You know, others, however, have felt that this saying might be directed to the people to whom Timothy is preaching. I mean, what would occur if the congregation no longer has the stomach for the word? I mean, what then? Well, Paul says, you just keep on preaching the word. I mean, still others wonder if Paul's addressing the spirit of the age. I mean, what if we live in a social climate where it's illegal to preach the word, or perhaps the teachings of the word are considered either foolish, or the word is called extremist and unacceptable? I mean, what then is the preacher to do? And the answer is, the preacher is accountable to God. And he keeps right on preaching the word, regardless of those who criticize him or make fun of him, regardless of whether he's discouraged or whether all men speak well of him. It doesn't matter. He preaches the word in season and out of season. And so you hear Paul commanding steadfastness and a lifelong commitment to the task. So let's look at the second qualifying command. The word Paul uses here is reprove. You know, that is, in preaching the word, the preacher is called to reprove. That means, in preaching the word, the preacher is called to rebuke or reprimand the hearers. That is, the preacher must point out, in preaching the word, what it is the people have done wrong. He's got to point out their error. Any exposition of Scripture without that kind of application is failing to do what God expects. Now, the third qualifying command in preaching the word is that they must rebuke. So, I know that at first glance, that might seem like the very same command as to reprove, but here to rebuke means to speak to the heart, speak to the person in such a way that they're moved to change. The preacher is not satisfied with simply rebuking, never. The good preacher looks for a change. He looks for results. He looks for the keys that transform the heart. And fourth, the command to the preacher is that the preacher must exhort. And to exhort means to speak tenderly to people. You know, when you confront them with their sins and their need for repentance, make sure 
that you do it with a heart of love and out of overwhelming concern for the state of their souls. You see, preaching the content of Scripture, it's not just an intellectual or an academic enterprise. It's so much more. I'd like to say it's a scalpel in which people receive heart surgery from God. It is both correction, but it's also healing at the same time. Now watch this. Paul is still not done. The task could not be more important, and it couldn't be more clear, but it also comes with more guidelines. But the task is also as urgent as it can possibly be. So let's continue to read our passage. And now I'm going to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So you might wonder here why Paul says that the time will come when in actual fact, I mean, Paul was dealing with that matter already as a present reality. I remember what Paul warned the Ephesian elders. It's found in Acts 20, verse 30. And there Paul said to the elders, and from among your own selves, men will arise speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And, of course, that's why Paul sent Timothy to Ephesus in the first place. I mean, his job when he went there was to take on those teachers from within the church who were teaching heresy. And so so why does Paul speak of a time to come and not just of the present time in which both Paul and Timothy were already engaged in taking on false teaching and, and dealing with the error that people were preaching? Now, this question is very important. See, it seems to me that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is telling Timothy that in the future, the desires for teachers who will say what their own hearts want them to say is going to intensify and it's going to become greater than at any time during the apostolic era. And those are the days that we are living in today. Hi, this is Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. We believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people, and your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there's times when you may miss the radio program, so we want to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John, but also learn more about our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our desire is to serve you so that the Bible teaching you can trust is available to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to support this Bible teaching ministry, Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. Paul has said that three things will develop which will highlight the desire for novelty in the Christian church. And the first is that there will be people within the church who will no longer put up with sound doctrine. I mean, they'll say they've had enough of that. In our day, we tend to use the word progressive Christianity. I mean, surely they say, have we not progressed beyond what the apostles have said? I mean, why do we need to be apostolic in order to be Christian? 
I mean, why do we need the old sexual mores? I mean, why do we need to continue to emphasize the universal lostness of the human race? I mean, why do we need to continue to talk about sin and the need of Christ's substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross and of the need for repentance in faith and of the hope of the second coming of Jesus? I mean, so says Paul, the longer the Christian faith is on the earth, the greater will be those who will say, we no longer want to put up with sound doctrine. The second matter, he says, that will develop is that these very same people will amass teachers who say whatever they desire to be said. People will look for novelty and the most pleasing novelty of all. And that leads to a third matter that's going to develop. People will have itching ears. Now, to have an itchy ear is to constantly look for something that deeply suits the carnal or the unconverted heart. Ideas in keeping with the times, ideas that feed the love of self, ideas that say that a person that's swollen with conceit is no bad thing at all. Ears are itching for that. Teachers are found. The sound doctrine, the truth once for all delivered to the saints is jettisoned. Of course, Paul has already told Timothy what he needs to do. Preach the word. Don't be taken off your game. Know what God has called you to do and continue to do it. See, that doesn't mean that Timothy will become, you know, increasingly irrelevant to the new spirit of the age. I mean, whatever that turns out to be. It is not those who preach the word who are irrelevant. See, there's an old adage, and I don't know if you've heard it. It says, if you marry the spirit of the age in your generation, you will be a widow or a widower in the next. See, that means that the spirit of the age is in constant flux. It's constantly changing. Those preachers who preach the spirit of the age will find that the spirit of the age is always changing. They're about one more social change away from irrelevancy. And soon no one will pay attention to them at all. But the one who preaches God's one unchanging word is never irrelevant. Indeed, that preacher can be quoted from in the next generation and the one to come, and he will still be relevant then. So Timothy will have to stay on track and stay the course and continue to fight the battle and preach the word. But Paul knows this battle will be more difficult than Timothy had imagined. The task could not be more demanding. And so what is he to do? To meet that challenge? Well, let's go to verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And here Paul gives four commands. First Timothy and all Christian leaders, be sober-minded. I mean, to be sober-minded is to be free from things that intoxicate you. I think what Paul especially has in mind here is from the intoxicating effects of the praise of men, regardless of what men say. Stay on course. Don't let human praise be your motivator. Seek God's praise. That's it. Be sober-minded. Second, endure sufferings. See, this preaching of the word will cause people to oppose you, and every preacher should know that word-based preaching will ensure suffering. Third, be an evangelist. Reach out to the lost. Win them through the power of the word. And finally, fulfill your ministry. And that means do everything that needs doing. Now, I've taught prospective pastors for years, and one of the common things that I have found is that many don't have proper role models for themselves. You know, I knew one man who actually prepared his sermons at 7 a.m. on Sunday morning, just a few hours before the preaching event. Now, clearly, he hadn't studied the Word fully. Now, in our day, 
I mean, there are many would-be preachers who have never sat under faithful exposition of the Scripture, and that's a problem. They haven't heard it. They can't recognize it. They have no role models. Their models for ministry is different from that which Christ commands. There are congregations all over this country in which it's been years since anyone has been under a faithful proclamation of Scripture. And Paul knows that's going to occur. And he's been concerned that Timothy and all Christian leaders must learn the task. But now he switches gears. They must also learn from the faithful role models who have successfully gone before them. So let's read now 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 to 8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. In the Old Testament, according to Numbers 15, the drink offering was the last offering in a series of offerings that were made to God. And that's the image that Paul's leaving us of his life. Throughout his life, he's been called upon to offer himself up. You know, as he says in Romans 12, verse 1, as a living sacrifice. At times he was beaten and then he was stoned. He'd been whipped. He'd already been falsely accused often and he'd been imprisoned. At other times, he faced false teachers. He worked incredibly long hours. At times, his circumstances left him financially impoverished. And in Philippians 4.13, he writes that he is able to do all things through Christ who strengthens him. I mean, each one of these hard experiences were offered up to Jesus as a sweet-smelling, living sacrifice. It was his sacrifice that testified that Jesus is better than life. Now he tells Timothy, just like the drink offering poured out at the end, he has one more sacrifice to offer. It's the ministry of his martyr's death, whereby he will glorify God. In other words, Paul has been faithful to the end. Notice what he then says, the time of my departure is near. You know, the word for departure is literally loosed. The time of my loosening is near. And the image is clearly that of, you know, an ancient ship, you know, that were held in place as they were anchored by tight ropes, often tied to an anchor. But when the anchor lifted and the ropes were loosed, the ship set sail. And Paul's setting sail for eternity, but just before he does, he approaches the throne and he says, Dear Lord, I have but one more sacrifice, my drink offering, to present before Christ. That is my martyrdom. Here's a man who held nothing back. And as Paul looks back at his past, he wants Timothy to know that his life of ministry was always a fight. He never knew a time when everything was peaceful, just going his way. He was always charging forward for Christ, preaching where many didn't even want to listen. But unlike some who say it was always a fight, meaning it was always so hard, Paul says it was always a good fight. He loved it. I mean, just like a hockey player who lives for that important game against the toughest of all opponents, Paul lived for the fight. You know, it brought the gospel home to everyone. And then he adds, I've finished the race. He means it required great effort but he's also now drawn it to a close. Christ had a specific assignment for him, and he'd kept it. And in so doing, he had kept the faith. You know, there are two kinds of Christian leaders. You know, there's the one who, after a lifetime of ministry, will say, well, I no longer have, you know, the same kind of passion I once did. And there are those who say the passion has become greater and more intense, and I've never wandered from my conviction that the gospel is true. If you're going to learn to be faithful to the task, learn from the faithful, from the one who held nothing back 
and the one whose track record was admirable and the one whose hope was undiminished. You know, from the man now whose ropes are loosed and who is about to set sail for eternity, Paul glances back one more time to Timothy and he says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness and not just for me, but all like me who continue in the course that the Lord has demanded that they do. You know, years earlier when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he began by saying in chapter 123, my desire, that is my driving inner passion, is to depart and be with Christ. But in the present hour, he knew then that there was still a race to be run. But now as he writes 2 Timothy, the race is over. And the great passion, that is the burning desire of his soul, to stand before the Lord whom he loves and to kneel before him and receive the victor's crown, that passion was about to be realized. There are Christian leaders whose great passion lie in this world and not in the world to come, and they always make very bad examples. But in any man of God or woman of God whose heart cry it is to be found before Christ as a faithful man or woman, when you or I find such a person, cling to that person. For from such a person, we learn that faithfulness to the Lord is worth it. It surely is. For there lies before us the greatest of all rewards. Thanks for your message, John. You know, I know everyone is different, but how would you suggest we maintain our enthusiasm for studying the Bible? Well, I I think there are a number of things. I, I think there, I mean, I don't know how to put it any more politely than to say you've got to establish a discipline in your life. That is, regular daily Bible reading should be a part of your life. And, you know, I I would encourage believers to have accountability relationships with other believers. How are you doing in your Bible study? I mean, and not, you know, in any way condemning of one another, but to encourage one another to, you know, uh, work to find ways to make sure that we are uh, doing it, but then also um, to to study the Bible in concert with one another. So I, I you know, obviously being in a Bible study group, but I would, you know, I really want to make the case for being in the kind of Bible study group that does serious work in Scripture, that looks at the actual wording in front of us, line by line, and asks to analyze what it means and what it means to us today. I mean, these are basic things. I think every believer can be involved in this. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Make It Count, right here on Back to the Bible Canada. Bible teaching you can trust. Back to the Bible Canada has a global vision the size of our global mission. Partnerships around the world ensure that we do our part to sow God's Word beyond the confines of country, culture, or language, and India is one example. Since 2017, in partnership with Back to the Bible India, Dr. John's messages have been broadcast in hard-to-reach regions across India, in fact, much of Asia. Three pastor conferences have taken place, working together to train biblical leaders for the church in India and thousands of Bible teaching resources have been translated and distributed to believers hungry for God's truth, and the sowing is bearing fruit. Sonu wrote to say, In my journey with Back to the Bible, I am blessed by the Word of God. Now my whole family is serving the Lord. While February is our International Ministries Month, 
please consider a special gift to reach our $50,000 international ministry goal. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.